I got word last night at 11.42 from the women's retreat. Isn't text messing, text messing? That's, that hasn't been invented yet. I don't know what that is. Text messaging, it's, it's amazing. So I don't know, at, at 10 when I went to bed, I texted, how did it go? And at 11.42, I, I got, it went well. God is awesome. So things are going well at the women's retreat. And since many of our women are away, I didn't want to return to our study in the book of Genesis quite yet. Didn't want to return to the God of Abraham. And I'm almost certain that we'll do that next week. I'm al- we've been away for quite a while, before Easter and now after Easter. I'm almost positive we'll be back to Genesis chapter 50. If you want to read, if you can't wait, if you're like, what's happening? I can't wait. It, it's in the Bible. You can read ahead. Genesis chapter 15 is where we'll be next week. But since I knew the majority of the congregation today would be men, and as I look out, I see a number of beautiful women, but there are quite a few men, I, I did want to speak on a, on, a, on a masculine topic today. Sorry, sorry, ladies. Now, I'm sure most of you remember what I spoke on if, if you were here. If you, weren't, if you weren't here attending Bridges last year at this time, you're exempt, but if you were, then you should remember what I spoke on last year when the women were away. Anybody? That's embarrassing. That's embarrassing. To be honest with you, I didn't remember either. But I was talking about it with Philip yesterday. We were discussing his message from last week. Remember you Sunday last week? Philip did an awesome job. And we were talking about it, and he said, didn't you share something about fishing lessons last year? I said, fishing lessons? What are you talking about? And so I looked it up, and and he was right. Last year, the title of my message during women's retreat was Fishing Lessons from the Lord. From John chapter 21. Remember, we used, to, we used to be studying the book of John a while ago. Now, that's a manly topic. Fishing. Fishing with Jesus. I can get hold of that. So I thought this year I might speak on hunting lessons from the Lord. I couldn't find any scriptural support for that message, so I moved on. I continued to think and pray about it. Then Brian Art suggested that I talk about something that would encourage men to think about going on the Band of Brothers boat trip that's coming up, the 10th annual Band of Brothers boat trip. So I thought about the ministry of the Band of Brothers, and one word kept coming to my mind, besides sweat and man stuff. One word kept coming to my mind, and that word was relationships. Relationships. Now, I know that that's not a very masculine word. In fact, it's often thought to be more of a, of a, of a feminine word. Because in general, I hope it's okay to make a generality here, women are a little bit better at relationships than men. But that means that as men, we have to pay more attention to that in our lives. We have to pay more attention to our, our relationships with one another. And I believe the Band of Brothers is a good example of this, a good example of men that understand this. And I'd encourage you to consider this year going on this, this annual boat trip, which is, is not all of the Band of Brothers do, but it's sort of a culmination. It's a celebration of that ministry among us. Is that, is that good, Brian? All right, thanks. So as men, as brothers in Christ, what kind of relationships are we to have with one another? As I thought and prayed about that, I remembered what Paul wrote in Romans chapter 12, verse 10. He says this, Love one another 
with brotherly affection. Outdo one another in showing honor. It was that phrase, brotherly affection, that kept going over and over in my mind. Now that's a a masculine sort of thing, brotherly affection. Men can grab hold of that. But in reality, the whole verse has much to say to, to all of us, to men and to women alike. It speaks to the kind of relationships we in the church should have with one another. So this is the verse I want to focus on this morning. Talk about some other things and we'll try to pull it all together. But this is the, the focus, the anchor for us this morning. Romans twelve ten. This is what I want us as men and women to hold on to today. Having relationships of love, affection, and honor. Now this verse is addressed to the church in Rome. It's in the book of Romans. Paul writes this letter to the church in Rome. Letting him know he's coming and letting them know what he believes. And he writes this out. So the one another is not everybody in the world, but fellow believers in the church. This doesn't mean you can't have love for an unbeliever. You surely should. Other passages in the Bible make that that clear. But the focus in Romans, and what I want to focus on this morning, is the church. Relationships within the body of Christ. Wherever you love... Love here. Wherever you have brotherly affection, have it here. Wherever else you show honor, show it here. Now, there are three questions I want to look at and at this morning with regards to this verse. They are simply what, why, and how. If you have your notes this morning, there, there's no fill in the blanks. There's just the scripture and the questions. There's no overhead, so I didn't want to confuse anybody so I laid it all out there so the questions are laid out for you my goal is to help us come to a better understanding with our mind the kind of relationships that God is calling us to and and it's let me let me just say this it's radical it's crazy it's crazy stuff relationships of love affection and honor so that we the men and and women of Bridges Christian fellowship, can embrace and seek these kind of relationships with one another for God's glory and for our own good. So let's begin with the what. What does it mean to have relationships of affection and honor, of love, affection, and honor for one another? I don't want to burst any bubbles here. But both the words for love and brotherly affection are emotional words. Emotional words. They, they speak to the, to the heart. They speak to how you feel. To your heart of hearts. How you actually feel about a person. There are some who believe that Christian love is some, some kind of stoic thing. It's detached from our emotions. They would say, it doesn't matter how you feel about a person as long as you do loving acts towards that person. As long as you lovingly serve that person. Your feelings aren't important. We don't have to like people. We just have to love them. Is another way we put it. It doesn't make any sense to me, but anyway. Paul would disagree with that. 
Maybe there's some human nobility in doing good for those that you have no feeling or even negative feelings for. And some might even call that love. But that's not the kind of love, that's not the kind of love that Paul is talking about. He's talking about a heart thing. And and when we start talking about the heart, as we'll see, we're only talking about what God can do in and through us. As many of you know, the English word we have, in, in English we have, how many of you guys speak English? I'm having trouble with it right now, but in English we have one word for love. And what is that word? It's love. Okay, sorry. Pop quiz. But in the Greek, there are several. There are a number of words for love. The most famous, in the church at least, is what? Agape. We all agape love. There are, we just like that agape love. But the word Paul uses when he says love one another in Romans 12.10 isn't agape. In other places in scripture, we're commanded to, to agape, to love one another. That's that high, unconditional love from God. But the word Paul uses for love in Romans 12.10 is a a compound Greek word. It's the word philostorgi. Philo is the word for friend. And storgi is the word for, for cherishing someone. For cherishing someone, especially your family. So when you combine these two words into one word, it's really a fondness, the love you feel for your family and your friends. It's an emotional, deep, and true love. And that's the word for love Paul uses. And he also says, he also uses the the term brotherly affection. In the Greek, that's the word Philadelphia, city of brotherly love. It means brotherly love. A family affection that comes with deep and lasting relationships. Now, in a family, you can have fights. You can and you do. You can get mad at one another. But you can't run away. You can't run away. Your your family is your family. You stick together with your family. If some bully picks on your family, then watch out. There's trouble. When I was a kid... My younger brother and I uh, fought all the time. Can I get an amen from my dad? Amen. No one would accuse me of being an especially loving brother. I was older, and so I was usually the one doing the picking. But I remember one time when an an older kid, a kid my age, was picking on my little brother. I was the only one allowed to pick on my little brother. So I stepped in and I put a stop to it. And the next day, that kid jumped me from behind in the sandbox, if you can believe that. He pushed my face down into the sand and pulled out a bunch of my hair. I did have hair at the time. That's the kind of deep love Paul is talking about here. Love that cares and protects. Love that gets its face pushed in a sandbox. It's an emotional love. It's a deep friendship and family kind of love. And this is the kind of love we're supposed to have for one another, for each other in the church. Now, some of you might be already be thinking, uh, this is crazy talk. I can't do that. Have you seen the people sitting next to me? There are strange people in the church. Too many people just aren't uh, lovable. Look around you. Well, look up here. Here you go. 
Or maybe you're thinking, I've tried that before and I've been hurt. I've tried too often to love like this and and too often I've been hurt by people. They've betrayed me. I can't do it again. Now later we're going to get to how. That's our third point. Let me just stop here for a second and, and point out something. Just so we're clear, this loving one another with brotherly affection isn't a, isn't a request, isn't an option to consider. This is a command from God. This is a command from God's word. If he is the Lord, then this is not just something we can dismiss as being too difficult. This, this morning, I, I was, as we were singing, this, I, I like this, having the, the words, usually... Because uh, once the song is gone from the screen, it's gone from my head. But today I had it here, so I can pull out some evidence. If it is nothing but the blood that saves us, if, if Jesus is the only thing that we have that, that saves us, if all I have is, is Christ, if Jesus is, as we sang this morning, my life, If we say, here's my heart, Lord, take it and and seal it from thy courts above. And if the Spirit lives inside of me, then we can't dismiss the commands of our Lord. Even when they're difficult. Others might be saying, uh, if you're thinking about this, I'm a little confused. Can God really command me to, to have deep emotional feelings for people. I can't control the way I feel, can I? Well, first of all, I'd, I'd, I'd answer, he does it all the time. He commands us to love. He commands us to love himself. In fact, he says, love me with all of your heart and soul and mind and strength. That's, that's emotional. He submit, says, love one another. He says, Love your neighbor as yourself. And you have, whether you think it or not, you have a deep emotional love for yourself. You prove it every day as you feed yourself and breathe and seek to to clothe yourself. You take care of yourself. He he commands us to, to have joy. Rejoice always. And again, I say rejoice. He commands us to not have the emotion of worry. Be anxious for nothing, he he says, well, how can I, how can he command these, I, I don't have any control here. We'll get to that. So, so first, God clearly believes it's okay for him to not only command what we do, but how we feel, our emotions. He's okay with that. And second, I would say, since when are the commands of God doable Since when can you do any of the commands of God in your own strength? You are absolutely correct. If you're thinking, I can't love these people like that. You can't. On your own, you can't. But the two, I don't know if they're the greatest, two amazing words in Scripture, but God, but God. Matthew 19, 26. With man this, with man this, loving one another with brotherly affection is impossible, but with God all things are possible. Let me say this, God will never command you to do something that he doesn't give you the power to do. Now, now whether we take hold of that power or not is often up to us, but God offers that power. So don't stop listening because you think this kind of love 
this kind of love for one another is, is impossible. Don't check out. Stick with me, and, and hopefully when we get to how, it'll, it'll make sense. Now, what about showing honor? Paul says, outdo one another in showing honor. This isn't easy either. This is difficult. The word in the Greek for honor here is, is time. It's actually spelled T-I-M and then a E. It's got the little dash over it. It means show that you value something. To show something is precious. I don't know if it's a coincidence or the sovereignty of God that, that we write the Greek word in, when we transliterate it, if you know what that means, into English. We do use T-I-M-E, time, because giving someone your time is, is certainly one great way to honor them. And when we think of honoring someone, we often think in terms of, of what they deserve, giving someone what they deserve, don't we? We honor our veterans for their service, risking their lives for our country, for our freedom. We honor our police and our firemen for protecting us from immediate danger. And in our culture, we give a lot of honor to those who entertain us. That says something about what we truly value, doesn't it? We honor our actors, our singers, our athletes. We give them cheers. Could have been with me and Gary and Jeff, Mark last night at the Clipper game. First game of the playoffs, there was a lot of cheering and honoring as the Clippers were victorious over the, those stinking Memphis Grizzlies. I'm sure many of you don't care. We give awards of honor. We give Oscars and Emmys and Tonys and Super Bowl championship trophies. My point is that the world honors those they think deserve it. The world honors those they think deserve it. And that's well and good. It's fine to honor those that you believe deserve honor, those that protect you, those that fight for you, apparently those that entertain you. But honoring in Scripture often means treating people better than they deserve. Treating people better than they deserve. For example, and this is a difficult example, it's hard, I'm not, we're not going to go into it, but, it, but it's here. Paul says to Christian slaves, let all who are under a yoke as slaves regard their master as worthy of all honor. They may be dirty, rotten scoundrels, but you can regard them as worthy of honor. You can count them worthy the same way God counts you worthy. That doesn't mean you don't see their faults, but you act and speak to honor them. Another example in 1 Corinthians 12, 23. Paul is giving a a comparison between weak members in the church and certain parts of the human body. On those parts of the body that we think less honorable, bestow greater honor. On those that we think deserve less honor, give greater honor. That's crazy. That's upside down, isn't it? This is not the way the world thinks. In the church, showing honor is not always, it can be, not always a response to something that someone does that's honorable. This morning when I walked in, uh, Steve Reese, is Steve here? Thanks, Steve, for staying at church. <laughs> Steve, Steve was, had a magazine article out, and he said, hey, check this out. 
And in the, ma in the magazine, it's the, it's the alumni magazine of Cal Poly Pomona. Right? Yes. And in the magazine, there's an article about Liam Corley. Liam is, attends church here, and he's a professor at Cal Poly Pomona, and how some of his poetry was published. And so I, f I felt like Steve was honoring Liam by just pointing out to, to different people that, that Liam uh, has worked diligently and has had some poetry published, and he deserves that honor. But in the church, oftentimes, we need to think about honoring those that maybe don't deserve, finding ways to honor people that we might not think deserve it. Looking for ways. Looking for ways. Now, what does it mean to, to outdo one another in showing honor? Outdo one another. He doesn't just say honor. He says outdo one another in showing honor. It's a contest. Outdo one another in showing honor. I think it means to prefer to honor rather than to be honored. It's better to give honor than to receive honor. That's the kind of attitude we usually use that in terms of finances, right? It's better to give than receive. It's better to give honor than receive honor. That's the kind of attitude we should have. If you try to out-honor someone, it means you want to honor them more than you want to be honored. Don't spend time figuring out how you can receive honor, but how you can honor others. This is not natural. We, I, am prone to want to be honored, to want to be lifted up. We want to hear others say, great job. Couldn't have done it without you. You're the best. Great sermon, pastor. It was, it was life-changing. But in the church, we must put to death this desire to be honored. Not that honor won't take, be taking place. We're commanded to honor. But we have to put to death the desire that we're the one being honored all the time. And we must seek to grow in the desire to honor others. So as the family of God, the body of Christ, the church, we're commanded to love one another with brotherly affection, to have real family, emotional, heart, love for one another. And not to seek our own honor, but to honor, to lift up with words and deeds one another. That's the what. That's what we're supposed to be about. Now the why. Why is it important to love, have affection for, and to honor one another? Now I'm assuming it's important because the Bible tells us to do it. God said it, and so that just should settle it. Doesn't, somebody has a... There's a t-shirt out there. Kimberly King is wearing a t-shirt. What does it say? I don't have my glasses on, so I can't see you. What does it say? God created it and I believe it. Done deal, right? But like children, we are not always satisfied with the answer to the why question. You remember your kid? I don't know about you, but my kids, Michael. Why, why, why? Because I said so. We're not always satisfied with that, are, are we? And I believe we look at, as we look at Scripture, God is... God is a kind father. He not only commands us, but often, uh, notice I say often, not always, but often gives us rationale for his commands. So it's okay to look at scripture and to ask the question of why. And I want to give three reasons why I believe God has commanded us to behave this 
kind of loving, brotherly affection and, and honoring way. And each one of these reasons reveals something. It's, it's a revelation, this love, this honor, this affection we have for one another. First, God commands that we love, have affection for, and honor one another because this, along with, uh, along with other things in Romans chapter 12, reveals our transformation by Christ. It reveals our transformation by Christ. Let me, let me talk about that. The command to love with brotherly affection and honor one another is found in Romans chapter 12, verse 10. Okay, we know that. And it's, and it's part of a list of things. A list, a list of commands that flow from Romans chapter 12, verses 1 and 2. Let me, let me read those to you. I appeal to you, therefore, brothers, by the mercies of God, to present your bodies as a living sacrifice, wholly acceptable to God, which is your spiritual worship. Do not be conformed to the world, but be transformed by the renewal of your mind, that by testing you may discern what is the will of God, what is good and acceptable and perfect. As those who have presented our bodies our lives, our very self to Jesus Christ. We've given ourselves to him as living sacrifices, no longer conforming to the world, but being transformed. We've been born again. We've become, we became and are becoming new creatures in Christ. Our mind is being renewed. And as new creatures, it's proper and natural that we exhibit that we display different kinds of behaviors, behaviors that aren't of this world. We're different from the world because we're in a new family. We have one father, and we are all brothers and sisters in Christ. In 1 John 5.1, the apostle writes, Everyone who loves the father loves whomever has been born of him. Everyone who loves the father, that should be us. Loves whomever has been born of him. That's our brothers and sisters in Christ. In other words, love for the father shows itself in love for the children. Affection for God brings affection for his children. Honor for God brings honor for his children. We, I don't know if you realize this, but we're going to spend eternity with each other. With God, of course, but we're going to spend eternity with each other. In loving, affectionate, honoring relationships. God commands us to live in the light of that family reality right here and now. Revealing that we're being transformed into into something that's different from the world. We're being changed. We're being transformed. And you know when this is seen most clearly? This is seen most clearly when we give love, affection, and honor to those who don't deserve it. The world can love the lovely. The world can give affection to the warm and the friendly. The world can honor the brave and the talented. So if that's all we do, then we're no different from the world. We're to have love, affection, and honor for for one another. Not based on what others deserve, but based on what God is doing in and through us, based on our transformation in Christ. And God is the example of this. He doesn't doesn't ask us to do things 
that he doesn't do himself and do to perfection. He demonstrates this in his relationships with each and every one of us. He loves us, he has affection for us, and he honors us. Not because we're lovely and warm and friendly and brave and talented creatures, but because of who he is. Paul wrote, familiar verse, Romans 5.8, but God shows his love for us while we were still sinners. Christ died for us. In love, while we were sinners, while we were enemies of God, he gave his son, he sent his son to this world. While we were dishonoring him, he honored us by rescuing us from sin and death and hell and Satan. He demonstrated his love, affection, and honor for us by saving us from our sin and making us a a part of his family. He adopted us. He adopted us into his family, giving us a place at his table, honoring us by seating us at his table. In Luke chapter 12, 37, it pictures the second coming of Christ like this. Listen, blessed are those servants whom the master finds awake when he comes. Truly, I say to you, he will dress himself for service. This is Christ. And have them, us, his church, his bride, recline at a table, and he will come and serve them. Christ will come and serve his bride. Jesus is our example. He has and will continue to bestow upon us undeserving though we are his love, affection, and honor. And this reveals who he is. And as we bestow love and affection and honor on one another, especially those whom we deem undeserving, we reveal that we're being transformed. We're being changed. We're not like the world. We're different. We're being transformed into the image of Christ. So first... Why does God command that we love, have affection for, honor one another? Because this reveals that we're being transformed by Christ. Second, God commands that we love, have affection and honor for one another because this reveals the glory of Christ. The glory of Christ. The glory of of God himself. Isn't that what we're to be about? Isn't that our first core value in in our List of core values on the front of your bulletin. If you have a bulletin, what's the first core value? Bringing glory to God. And this flows from what we just talked about. If we're having loving, affectionate, honoring relationships with one another, then then we reveal that we're being transformed by Christ. Christ is doing a work in our hearts. We show that we're different from the world because of Christ. He's the one who transforms us. And when we live this way, we demonstrate his character. Ephesians 4.32 says, Be kind to one another, tenderhearted, forgiving one another, as God in Christ forgave you. God's character is revealed in Christ. God's character is tenderhearted. It's forgiving. It's loving. So when we love, when we have tender affection and, and honor and forgive one another, then we're painting a picture of who Jesus Christ is. We're painting a picture of of what he looks like. 
And when we reveal what Christ looks like, when we truly reveal what Christ looks like, the response is is glory. He's glorified. So second, loving affectionately and preferring to honor others displays the glory of Christ. That's why we're commanded to live that way. Third, God commands that we love, have affection for, and honor one another because this reveals Christ's love to the world. This reveals Christ and his love to the world. When you glorify Christ by loving Christians affectionately, outdoing each other and showing honor, the world will see and be more inclined to hear the gospel and glorify God. Matthew 5.16 says this, Let your light shine before others, so that they may see your good works and give glory to your Father who is in heaven. Let your light of love and affection and honor shine before men. Why? That they may see these good works, the works that you do, the works that God has done in you, and they'll give glory to Him. Now you might think that the best way to show Christ's love to the world would be to love the people in the world, right? And this is certainly an important command from God. We're commanded to love even our enemies. Certainly commanded to love those in the world. But it's interesting that Jesus said to his disciples in John chapter 13, verse 35, he said this, by this, underline this, by this, all people will know that you are my disciples. They'll know that you're following me. They'll know that you're revealing my glory. If you have love for one another. When the world sees us showing love for one another, something happens. They see something different. They see a community. They see Christ at work in our lives. They see something that's incredible. And many times, they want that kind of love. They want that to be part of that kind of community. We experienced this oh, so many times when we were in Thailand. As we got to know Thai people, we would invite them into our homes. And as they saw how we related to one another, to, as husband and wife and as children, and then as they, as they came to things we did with other missionaries and they saw how the missionaries related, they were drawn They were drawn. They were drawn in. First, they were drawn by us. But then, when it became clear that that it was only Christ in us, they were were drawn to Christ. When when we told them, how how do do we be a part of this? It's through Jesus Christ. It's only because of Christ that we have any hope of being like this. So there are reasons why Paul commands us to love each other with with affection and outdo one another and showing honor. When we obey these commands, it it reveals that we're being transformed by Jesus Christ. It reveals who Christ is. It reveals His glory. And the world sees this kind of loving community and it it wants to be a part of it. So it's it's, it's really, in many ways, an, an, an evangelistic tool to the world. Letting them see what it would be like to be part of the church. There's so, in the world, there's such a the church has oftentimes, through the media or through actual things that people in the church do, has, a, has a, not a great reputation. That's, that's us. And so we have to change that. And, and Jesus gives us that op- opportunity as we seek to 
love and honor one another. Now, again, you might be thinking, okay, that makes some sense to me. That's well and good. I, I can see the logic there if, if we could only do that, but I'm, I'm still not sure I can do that. It clearly isn't easy. It is totally different from the world. It's, it's not natural. It's not natural. And that brings us to our final question for this morning, the question of how. How do we love, have affection for, and honor one another? Now let me quickly say, I'm not going to give you any kind of magic formula. When I was in college, I took a class, uh, administration of justice class, taught by a former police officer. And he said, if you hang in with me in this class, at the end of it, I'll give you the secret to never getting a traffic ticket again. And so we were, we were hanging in there. We, we wanted the magic formula. We wanted the secret. There must be some secret code word you say to the cop when he comes up. Excuse me, sir. Can I see your license? Uh, Alakababa. Oh, never mind. I'm, I'll go back to my motorcycle. That was not the case. At the end of the class, he said, uh, don't break the law. Don't speed. That's the key to never getting a speeding ticket is don't speed. So... It was kind of a trick. That's not what we have here. But, but it's not a magic formula. This, like so many of the, of the things in our Christian life, is a, is a process. It, it includes growth and maturity. That, that word, that, that, that uh, high word, big word, sanctification. Growing in maturity in Christ. It involves allowing God to work in your life. It involves transformation by Jesus Christ. It means living in light of, of the truth, a truth stated by the Apostle Paul in 2 Corinthians 5.17. Listen to what he says. Therefore, if anyone is in Christ, that's us, those who trusted in Christ, he's a new creation. That new, that metamorphosis, newness. The old has passed away. Behold, the new has come. Living in light of that truth. God is doing a new work in you. He's transforming you. He's changing you into a new creation. It means surrendering to the work of the Holy Spirit in your life. Allowing the Spirit of God to work His fruit in you. It's it's fruit of the Spirit. It's not something you produce. It's something the Spirit produces. We just have to submit to the Spirit. And we get fruit. Galatians 5, 22, 23, but the fruit of the Spirit is love and joy and peace and patience and kindness and goodness and faithfulness, gentleness, self-control. Against such things there is no law. If these fruits are being worked in us by the Spirit, then, then we'll be able to love one another with brotherly affection. We'll be able to honor one another, outdo one another in showing honor. God, through the power of His Spirit, does the work to transform us into new creatures that are full of His love, affection, full of desire to honor others. We have absolutely no hope of being loving, affectionate, honoring people without God's power at work in our lives. Is that clear? You can say yes, amen. Amen, Pastor Cliff. Thank you very much. Yes, God must transform us. It's only God. But that doesn't mean 
he waves a magic wand. There's no Harry Potter spells coming into our lives. He doesn't cast a a love spell on us. He doesn't cast an affection spell on us. He doesn't cast an honoring spell on us. He awakens in our heart. Our spirit was dead. We were dead in our trespasses and our sins. And he awakens. He, he, He awakens our spirit. He awakens in us the desire to give. He gives us the ability to love. To have affection and to honor people. And then, as we submit to him, he works these qualities into our lives. So let me give it just a few practical ways that we can submit to God's work in our lives. These are things we have to actually do. These are things we have to practice. So I've talked about what and why. I've talked about the basis of it. It's only through Christ. There's no hope without Christ. But once you understand that, then there's some things you can do to become, to obey this command. This command from your Lord. The first is, pray humbly. Pray humbly. This is what Paul, listen listen to Paul's prayer for the church in Philippi. Chapter 1, verse 9. And it's it's my prayer. Paul's praying for him that your love may abound more and more. Through prayer, their love's going to abound more and more with knowledge and all discernment. You can pray that you be more loving. You can pray that you have more affection. There may be someone in your life that you're struggling with. I just don't like this person. Hit the knees. God, help me to love that person. To love, have affection for, and honor one another. You need to know that God has commanded it. And this, is the, this can only be accomplished by His work in your life. It's only possible because of the new nature you have in Christ. You need to admit that you can't be the, this kind of person without God's Spirit. You can't in yourself create, gener, generate this kind of love and affection and honor. It's not of you. And you're not going to get the glory either. Christ is, and that's right. And therefore, you need to acknowledge your complete dependence on Him. What's another core value we have here at Bridges? Dependence on prayer. It's really dependence on the Lord and, and we come to Him in prayer. You need to go to Him in earnest, humble prayer. Not once, but regularly. You need to call upon the Lord to do whatever He has to do in your life and heart to make you more and more into the kind of loving, affectionate, honoring person that He's commanded you to be. Lord, this isn't me, but I want it to be. Do what you need to do in me, Father. Use and let me say this: as you venture out, as you pray for that person, or we pray for yourself that you could love that person. Next time you run into them, you're just going to get mad. You're going to fail. Maybe, maybe not, but you will fail. I would say use every failure, every failure, as an opportunity for humble repentance, confession. And prayer for renewed strength. So the first thing we can do is to to pray humbly. Pray for ourselves that we would be this kind of person. Second, see other believers from God's perspective. You know, put on the the God perspective glasses. You got a pair of those? It's in in God's word. As As you come to understand God's word, you're able to see 
people from his perspective. They are your brothers and sisters in Christ, God's word says. And no matter how imperfect they are, we are, they are the children of God, your father. Remember that Christ shed his blood for them. When you come to remember, once a month we have communion and do this, and we remember Christ and his shed blood. Remember that shed blood was for that person, these people. They are forgiven for all the things about them that you don't like, that upset you. They're justified by faith alone. If God has made them righteous in Christ, you must consider them righteous in Christ. Yes, they do bad things. Yes, we do bad things. Have bad attitudes, are immature and and oftentimes annoying. I mean, if we were all perfect, this would be easy, right? Well, but that's not how it is. If we were all perfect, we wouldn't need Jesus. That's, That's what causes us to cry out to Jesus. They're immature But don't dishonor Christ, who by his sacrifice, Christ gave his life for them, and he covers over their sin. Don't dishonor Christ by rejecting them. See them as God sees them, and let your affection grow. God loves them. I should love them as well. Third, look at at God's work in the life of, of other believers. Look for evidence of grace in the flawed lives, in our flawed lives. Every believer has evidence of of grace, of God working in him. God is at work in every one of his children. Don't dishonor the work of God by complaining only about the bad things. Now, we have the work of God going on within us, and then we have that, that work of the flesh that's still holding on to us, right? There's that battle that goes on. Don't focus on the, when, the, when their flesh is winning. Focus on the grace that God is using to transform them. Look for evidence of the grace in their lives. You know, this is exactly what God is going to do to each and every one of us on the day of judgment, that last day. He's going to gather up all of our failures, all of our D's and our F's, and he's going to burn them as if they never happened. Then he'll spread out before us all our C's and B's and maybe even a few A's. And he'll rejoice over the evidence of his grace at work in our lives. We need to do that for others today. Now, forget about the D's and the F's and focus on the C's and the B's and the A's. Rejoice over every grace that you see in a person's life. Everything that God is doing in them. You know, we do this pretty okay with our children, don't we? Whenever we see any sign of improvement, any sign of of growth, we praise it. Johnny, it's so good you didn't beat your sister today. Awesome job, you know. Anything, any sign, any hint. Let's do that with each other. Look for God's work in, in one another's lives and let God's grace give you More and more love and affection and honor for them. Now finally, fourth, and maybe most importantly, humbly remember God's mercy in your own life. 
Remember that you were totally alienated from God. You were cut off. No hope. No hope here. You were undeserving of God's love. You were undeserving of God's affection. You were undeserving of any kind of honor. But in Christ Jesus, you've been given all of that. So remember the mercy of God in your life. In Philippians chapter 2, verse 3, Paul says this, Do nothing from rivalry or conceit, but in humility count others more significant than yourselves. That's a hard thing to do. Count others as more significant than me? My world revolves, revolves around me. How do I do that? Humility is the key. It's the key to counting others better than yourself. And humility comes when we remember the mercy that God has in our own lives. You know, Chad, in leading us in worship, he dwells a lot on where we were, doesn't he? On the sinful creatures we were. So that we'll understand this. So that we'll understand and fall down at the feet of the Lord Jesus and worship him because of his mercy that we didn't deserve. If we deserved it, then we can stand up and say, look at me. If we didn't deserve it, then we fall down and worship him. Never forget the undeserved love, the affection and the honor that God has shown you. And allow God's mercy for you to awaken love and affection and honor for others. Remember how this chapter began. We read at the beginning of Romans chapter 12, verse 1. I appeal to you, therefore, brothers, by the mercies of God. Yes, by the mercies of God, we will love each other with brotherly affection. By the mercies of God, we can outdo one another in showing honor. When you wake up and see the true hopeless condition that you were in before God's mercy came, when you humbly see the mercy that God has given you, that mercy and that grace and that love that he's showered upon you, I believe you and I will become different people. Become people that can, can see others with, with God's eyes. See others differently. And our love and affection and honor will grow for others. So we've talked about the what, the why, and the how of loving, having affection for, and honoring one another. And the one another we're referring to is the church, the family of God. And, and I could stop there and that would, be, that would be fine. That would be good. I think we could grab hold of that. I hope, I hope it's encouraged you. I hope it's motivated you. Maybe even pour over those, last, those four things, those hows. Think about praying humbly. Think about having God's eyes for people. Think about the mercy that God has bestowed upon you. And then think about that person that really bugs you. It sits two rows behind you in, in church. Or, or that other believer at, at, at your work. Maybe they don't go to the same church. That other believer at your work that, that really isn't doing the right thing. So we could stop there. But, but I have one special application for us this morning. It's a subset. It's a small subset. And I'm going to finish with this. It's going to be real quick. It's a subset of what we've been talking about. And, and it's a special application specifically for married men. I'm going to talk to the married men for a second. So if you're a woman or an unmarried man, you can listen. You might find application. But I'm talking specifically to married men. 
I was able to uh, help my wife with her. My, Christina gave two talks. It's giving. She gave. It's done now. Two talks at the women's retreat, and I was able to help her with it, go over it with her, make a few suggestions. And uh, one of the things she's speaking on is serving in humility. I think the whole the whole theme of the women's retreat is is what it looks like, what what a, what you should be like to be a servant, to be to serve. And so she's speaking on humility and joy. And, and in her talk on serving in humility, she told the women that, that part of serving in humility is being submissive to one another, to submitting to one another, to not counting your rights as the most important, to laying yourself down to one another in serving. And, and we should be doing that in the body of, of Christ as well. And she gave a special application at the end of her talk for the for this truth for married women. She talked about the importance of submitting to their husbands. Submitting to their husbands. Can I get an amen? All right, brother. So that's at the women's retreat. That's not what we're talking about. But in kind, I think I need to, I need to give a special application for us married men. It's only appropriate that I point out that everything I've said this morning about relationships of love and affection and honor in the body of Christ can and should and must apply to our wives. To our wives. Time is short. I'm not going to review the whole sermon. But if, you, if you'll take some time, maybe in your notes, and just go through that with, that with that lens on men. How does this apply in my relationship with my wife? I hope you see it applies Our wives are our sisters in Christ. Men, we're to to love our wives emotionally, with deep feelings. Can you imagine if, men, we we just put on this stoic love for a while. How well would that go over, detached from our emotions? God commands us love with a deep emotion. And if we struggle with that, those those four points for, for how we can do it with the church, Same four points, how we can do it with our wives. They're part of our family. We're called to care for them and protect them. We're on the the same team with them. And we're to outdo our wives in showing honor, not worrying about how much they honor us. That seems, that's our, uh, that's my problem. I will speak for me. You know, I want, come on, wife, give me some honor. Give me some honor. Tell me how great I am. Put that aside. Put that aside and start outdoing them and showing honor. Showing how much you value them, whether or not you think they deserve it or not. Because same with the body of Christ. It's true with our wife. We don't deserve it from God. We're called to reflect Him in the church and in our marriages. So take that as a special application to this. Certainly we need to love, have affection for, honor everyone in the body of Christ. But for us married men, we need to think about that for our wives as well. If we can begin to do this, if we can have love and affection and honor for one another in the church and in our families, then I believe God can use us in mighty ways, in amazing ways. In this world, on our streets, uses for our for our good. It's for our good. 
that we become these kind of people. And, it, and it's for his glory. The glory of God will be revealed in our world. So would you pray with me as we close this morning? Father God, thank you for your word. And this, this simple command, simple in words and so difficult, so different from the world, so different from, from our own human nature. But Lord, you've given us a new nature. You've given us Christ. You've given us your spirit. So it becomes possible. It becomes possible to love in this deep way, to love one another in this deep way. Have true affection for one another, brotherly affection to outdo one another in showing. It becomes possible because of you, because of Christ. Lord, I pray that, that as we think about people in our lives, people that are difficult to love, maybe those people are even our husbands. Maybe those people are even our wives. Lord, I pray that you would give us a, a new motivated heart to seek you, to come before you, to bow the knee to you. Ask you for our help, for help. See people through, through your eyes, that you may love them, honor them, and have affection. In Christ's name.